Welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly. This week we have another great crossover episode with the Sidious Mag podcast, and our guest is Martin Heher of the Reebok Boston Track Club. Marty was a guest on the pod way back in 2018, and he returns after his big victory at this weekend's Marathon Project, where he ran a new personal best of 208.59 to become the seventh fastest American of all time. Chris and I asked Marty about his race this weekend, his preparation and lessons learned coming out of the Olympic marathon trials, and how he balances training with medical school and taking care of two young daughters. This is a great episode full of fascinating insight into one of the sport's rising stars. In addition to being a fierce competitor, an incredibly impressive person all around, Marty is also one of the sweetest and most likable guys in the sport, and I really think you'll enjoy the episode. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and stay tuned for even more Marathon Project content coming up soon. All right, and now we welcome on Marty Hare to the City of Smag podcast and the Run Your Mouth podcast crossover. I think David and I already did one this year, and we're uh, so this is a, a bonus episode because this year's been so tough. We figured people could use uh, two episodes of this, but we're joined by the Marathon Project champion, Marty. I want to start off with asking you just kind of like, who are you? Uh, because not too many people probably know who you are. Um, but deep down inside, this is a call back to the first ever interview that we ever did together back in 2012. Right now, people are probably wondering, who are you? So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm from Washingtonville, Orange County. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Washingtonville, which is uh, Orange County, right in New York, only an hour away from here. So a lot of my family is here, so it's like home field advantage. So you were a redshirt, you're a redshirt freshman. I was a redshirt freshman last year yeah. in cross country. You so, know, I was. Okay. It took me a lot of adjusting. I wasn't really doing well when I first got here. Just, you know, I just needed to get used to the workload, get used to the training, uh, and then come out where I ran some some pretty good times, placed well in the Big East, indoor and outdoor. And then this year was the year where you know had it all come together. We had a team that knew we we knew we could do big things, and if I was up there, I needed to be there to help them out. And. Uh... <laughs> At this point, you are not getting that question asked too much, right? Not really. Fortunately, you know, it's been a long work in progress, but I think I've finally gotten past that point in my career. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take a little bit of credit for just being like a little bit of the, the, the flame that has burned for your motivation throughout your entire career. Because in that Instagram post, you wrote that, you know, I've been running as hard as I can ever since then to make sure no one has, have, has to ask me that question ever again. Yeah, it's, but yeah, no. So I, I agree. There's a little bit of chip on the shoulder there. <laughs> although i will say it's definitely a balancing act because there's there's always people you know a little too much about them i think you want to be a little you want to be a little mysterious but also well known there's there you, you got to have that perfect balance and i think you struck agreed agreed so let's let's get right into it the marathon projects can you i guess do the regular question that everyone asks take us through that race um and sort of ultimately the move that you made later on in the race uh what what went into the whole entire thing so just walk us through the race yeah so i mean this this race like played out exactly how it was scripted i mean from you know josh and ben and matt the guys who who organized this thing it was set up to be a time trial with perfect weather perfect course perfect pacing and that's exactly what it shaped up to be for you know 22 miles um and which was great i mean i you know i made I was more than happy to sit on the back of that, that lead pace pack and just kind of go brain dead for as long as possible, not waste any energy um, and let everyone else do the work. Um, and that's, you know, I think a lot of people were asking me, Oh, like, how'd you feel? Did it feel good? I mean, I would say it's hard to feel great when you're running that fast for that long. Um, definitely for the first half of the race, I was, you know, it was all right. Like this is, we got a lot of race to go, a lot of race to go. Um, but once we hit halfway, there was definitely, I mean, we saw, you know, 64, 28, like nailed the pacing. There was like a palpable energy, um, that everyone was like, all right, like we're, we're going to do this today. This is happening. Um, I think Fauble yelled some 
excited profanity, um, if I recall. And yeah, and I think from that point, everyone started feeling a little better, um, myself included. And um, I spent the next few miles just kind of winding my way, getting a little closer and closer to, to the front. Um, and then I think, you know, 20 to 22, I was right kind of with uh, Frank, the uh, our last man standing pacer. Shout out to Mason and Frank for absolutely crushing the uh, pace job. Um, and yeah, I was right with Frank, 21. And then at 22, he, he stepped off and I kind of found myself right there um, at the front, kind of um, exactly where I didn't want to be with a good 4.2 miles left in the race. Like that is, that's, that, that's a lot. That's a big part of the marathon right there, that last 4.2. Um, but ultimately I was like, okay, let me just go, keep the pace honest for another mile and then maybe I'll settle back in and I'll let someone else do a little work. But, um, unintentionally keeping the pace honest ended up being a little bit of more of a surge. And I heard like a 450 mile, uh, pace get called out and I was like, uh, okay. And then, uh, you know, I started looking around it strung out and like, all right. And then I ran another mile. I think it was 449, 450 again. And at that point I was like, well, you know, I made my bed. So now it's time to just lay in it and uh, hope I can get to the finish line. So had you guys talked to each other, you, you know, sort of you guys that had committed to going out in that 209 group, you know, obviously it, a little bit different from maybe like a championship race or, or an international race where there's like a little bit of caginess. Like, was there like the group t- chat of everybody being like, Hey, we're, we're ready to run fast. Like what's, what's the plan boys? No, you know what? That was something like we were almost, talking about before the race that we wished that there was that there like was a little more communication between the athletes themselves about who was going with 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 which pace group um and where people were, were going to be because we did we really didn't have that but I think kind of what you're saying though is like there wasn't going to be that caginess everyone we were all there for the same purpose everyone had the same goal everyone wanted to run under 210 and win the race so you know, the guys who were going to be in that front pack were just going to declare themselves, obviously, right from the beginning. And it didn't really matter who was there, just that we had that that critical mass of uh, guys going for it. Did you talk to Colin? Did you guys have, like, a team strategy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We. I mean, I definitely talked with Colin. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we were – you know what's kind of funny is we were actually kind of not bummed, but a little, like – like man 209 flat that is you know it's ambitious of course it's ambitious right um from a bunch of people who you know haven't broken 211 um but we were like man we really wish this was like a 20 you know pace for 65 flat through the half like that would be perfect but um so we were a little hesitant about you know that pace at first but we just ultimately decided let's just get right on the back of the pack if it feels crazy maybe we'll let them gap us a bit um and kind of go from from there so that was kind of our thought but at the same time we knew like this is this is the point in this race is to run fast so i mean if it's going it's going and ultimately of course we got in the race that takes over and we weren't leaving that pack (laughs) in the conversation i had with fobble last week he sort of said that he felt that the trials the course and everything was three minutes slower than what people probably could run on like a fast course with like perfect conditions. Like we didn't have to worry about the weather. How did you sort of feel coming off the trials about your performance that it gave you sort of the confidence to go after and, and, and with the 209 to 10 pace group uh, at this race? Yeah, I think, I mean, that was, that was really the big question after, after the kind of everything settled after the trials, right? Like, wow, that was a really hard hilly course and guys ran, guys and girls ran really fast. Like how, like what's the conversion? How fast can they go on a, on a flat course? Um, and that was absolutely something that like we has been a burning question in the back of our heads, but we definitely, I mean, we agreed. I mean, three minutes, three minutes sounds like a lot. I don't know if it was the full three minutes, but we definitely knew it was worth some, some good time. Um, to put an actual hard number on it. I don't know how meaningful that is, but um, I think everyone, ourselves included, me, Colin, and I mean, everyone in in the race yesterday, we all wanted to know, like, yeah, how how much faster can we run? Um, And we know it's going to be significantly faster. 
So yeah, I think the trials absolutely gave everyone a lot of confidence that if we could go run 211-212 in Atlanta, we can go out sub-210 pace and give it a good shot. Fobel was obviously disappointed post trials because, you know, he had come in as one of the top contenders, you know, had run 209 and was, you know, a lot of people's pick to make the team. You kind of had a breakup performance where you finished sixth in 211.29. So post trials, what was your, what were your feelings regarding that performance? Like, was, was there any little bit of disappointment or was it just pure happiness looking forward to like the next race? No, man. Disappointment, obviously. <laughs> That's kind of been like my MO for my whole career is, um, you know, and I always come off as happy. I mean, I'm a very appreciative person that I've even had all the opportunities I've had, but I always fall a little short, just short enough where I should still be happy with my performance. Oh, I was sixth in the trials and, or seventh in 2016 and now sixth again. Like, that's so great. Almost made the team. But no one wants to be sixth or seventh place. So, um, yeah, and that's kind of been – that's kind of where I've been stuck for many, many years, um, which is why – Finally, yeah. So coming off of the trials, I wanted to make the team. And yes, the silver lining was ran a big PR, ran the Olympic standard. Not that it meant anything since the team just got picked. Um, But it definitely left more to be desired. And knowing that, you know, there was more in the tank to, you know, see what we can do at a course like the Marathon Project. That that reminds me of my favorite sports night quote from from the 90s uh, if you're good enough to come in second place you're good enough to be disappointed by it <laughs> you know it's like although did you feel a little bit going into this race like you know there's there's the chip on the shoulder to prove that the sixth place isn't a fluke and that you really are you know kind of one of the best marathoners in the country yeah I mean and that's kind of what I'm saying is why there's a chip on my shoulders I feel like I've been trying to prove I'm one of the best in the country for a very long time, yet I'm, I'm consistently one of the best in the country. Um, it's just, I haven't had that breakout performance or, you know, won that, that championship that really mattered. So that's why I do feel like this, you know, this, this race was finally like a validation of almost like a validation of my whole running career. Um, that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm finally kind of among, you know, in the place where I feel like I belong. Yeah, because it's it's so funny. I was on like an alternate broadcast sort of where we were just doing, you know, side commentary on the race. And in it, I think someone had asked was like, what was the last big thing that Marty has won before this? And it was something that took a while for us to kind of think about because even going back to that interview from 2012, I feel like that we did. When I ask you who you are, you go on to list team accomplishments. And then when we think about your career at Syracuse, I also think about like the team title of, of sorts. So you were always like a very good team player, but finally got this big moment yesterday. Yeah. Finally got it. I mean, I, I've won some things. I've won yeah, some yeah. I was going to say, wasn't, wasn't the last road race you ran one like that? It was like some small road race in New Jersey or something like that. No, I mean, I've won my last couple wins were the uh, Pittsburgh 10 miler. I've, I won that back to back the last few years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had wins that maybe aren't these big, grandiose wins. I've run well at national championships, just not getting those wins. But yes, I this was finally my first big individual big accomplishment. So I'm loving this vibe. This is like a little bit of a like a pissed off Marty vibe. You're like I know. Fired up. I love it. <laughs> I'm not pissed. I'm not pissed. I'm extremely happy. <laughs> so post trials, one of my favorite stories that came out of it was you told Let's Run.com the story of, of your bathroom break. And I'm sure like not, not everyone has read it. Um, so can you share that story for us and like put us sort of like in your shoes, the bathroom break story from the trials? Yeah, the bathroom break story from the trials. So I, you know, running the marathon, if it's going to happen, it's a rare occurrence that it happens in the elites. You know, we're not, we're supposed to train to not let that happen. Right. But if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a marathon when you're cramming in fluids and gels and carbs and just making your stomach very unhappy. Um, and, you know, it's something that I didn't obviously like trained accordingly and didn't plan on it, but things just, the fluids weren't sitting well early in the race. And I just felt like I had to go to the bathroom. Um, and I finally, I felt like that most of the race. And when I got my bottle and gel, I swiped it off the table at mile 18. I looked at it 
and I'd been struggling the whole race. I looked at it and I, was, I just knew like I, if I put this in my body, I was going to, there, there was going to be a catastrophic meltdown. Um, and I, but also at the same exact time I looked and on the side of the road, there was a porta potty just right there. So I very angrily, cause I was mad that I had to do this, like spiked my bottle down, sprinted to the porta potty, took care of business extremely quickly. I say 15, but at least under 20 seconds and then shot out and then just played catch up for the, for the, you know, the next what, 8.2 miles. Um, and I mean, I needed to do it and it actually, I mean, I still ran well and, um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was the story with that, you know, the, the, the GI upset one. But, were uh, you thinking about that yesterday at all when you were like making the bid for the finish? Were you like, oh God, what if I have to shit again? Well, not at the finish. I was thinking about it like during the race. Sure. Like every bottle. I mean, I'm like, all right, let me suck this down and keep on running. All right. How's the stomach settle out? feels good great and then then i know i just gotta make it to the next bottle and then i had that kind of like replayed that each each uh bottle station every four miles and change um but yeah no once i got to once i got to like mile really past like half marathon i just kind of knew like all right like things are good everything is okay is settled and nice yeah and then getting and then by the time i got to the end i didn't even really touch my last bottle it was just there, there, it was more just about physically being able to not fall down and get to the finish line. <laughs> Were you that guy in college? I know everyone has that college teammate who's the like toilet paper on the long run kind of guy. Like, were you I'm, that guy in college, or is this a new I'm, phenomenon? I mean, I wasn't that guy. We, we definitely had another guy who was that guy who was like, call him out, put call him out. Blast. Yeah, drop the name, Kevin Hoyos. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Hoyos was could do any no matter when the run was no matter how long how short that man was stopping to use the bathroom on a run um but no i did i firmly believe in the powers of if you pack the tp it's much less likely that you will have to use the bathroom on that's the very true <laughs> yeah was it the same shorts or different shorts for for this one because i know you told let's and you didn't wipe oh yeah i didn't yeah no i'm not gonna waste that that sort of time um, I mean, I have a couple pairs of <laughs> shorts, so like, it's it very well could have been the same pair. I didn't throw out my shorts; I just washed them. Um, so I don't know if it was the same pair. <laughs> this this is a run your mouth question, but uh, short shorts versus half tights for the marathon. What what's your stance? I'm 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 a short shorts guy. Just I think half tights. I think you run into more problems with chafing with the uh, half tights. So just personal preference. To each his own. <laughs> how'd you how'd you celebrate yesterday's win? I uh, didn't really do hardly any celebrating because, like I said, like I was telling you earlier, um, I actually I had to sp- like sprint from drug testing after the race to the hotel to furiously shower and pack my clothes and then speed off to the airport to catch my flight, which I barely made, and then it got delayed an hour. So you know jokes on me right um and then you know I, I made it back to philadelphia i didn't really get home until around 9 30 last night um and my wife was was getting in today with, with the kids so i was kind of just on my own last night and i got in late so i just threw some, some some frozen pizza in the toaster oven um popped down sat down and just kind of sat on the couch and then uh went to sleep but tonight tonight we're we're eating now my wife made me a birthday cake you know you know um so yeah tonight's gonna be the night <laughs> what's the cake chocolate cake chocolate icing chocolate chips on top i mean she knows my she she knows me always chocolate. yeah i know we we talked about this on on run your mouth but uh you're you're not much of a drinker so so no celebratory beer um you know what i would that's i did leave that out I did make myself just a, a little cocktail last night, just more of like a nightcap thing, just for no real reason. Well, I had what a reason, was it? but, um, oh, I don't, so I don't, like I said, I don't really love drinking, but it was, uh, so I always have to make fruity sweet stuff. Uh, it was a little, a, oh, a little no shame in the game there. <laughs> yeah. A, a little coconut rum, um, a little splash of, I think, strawberry vodka, and then uh, some strawberry lemonade to you know smooth it out oh it's good very tropical that sounds good oh man i was like in 
I mean, I was coming from Phoenix. It was like the sun was shining. It was hot, palm trees. How different was that from, I guess, like the past couple of weeks of training? Obviously, being on the, on the East Coast, it was getting a little bit colder. But, yeah, I mean, the training leading up to this, sort of what, what was it like? I guess the big thing everyone's wondering is because they know a little bit more of your background is how, how the heck do you fit it into a day? I mean, yeah, I, I get this question a lot, right? And my answer is usually the same. Like, it's there is a lot going on. There, I mean, training, yeah. I mean, the weather—it's actually been pretty nice. So, like, as far as like it being cold, and it really—it only snowed for the first time the day before I flew out, which of course was like anxiety-producing in its own right. But it—it it worked out as far as flights. Um, so that hasn't been, been an issue. It's really just getting up early. I mean, I spend a lot of my days getting up somewhere between five, five thirty. If I can, if I can sleep until six, wonderful. Um, and getting that that run in, um, you know, before the girls wake up and before I have to get to whatever, either the hospital or like an outpatient clinic or wherever I got to be for 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 that, you know, um, couple weeks. So it's really just getting up early, getting that, getting in the the training while everyone else is sleeping. I was uh one daughter versus two in terms of uh, your your sleep levels and uh, stress levels um yeah i mean look that's something i mean that's i would say if there's a secret to success it's still maintaining the sleep like i mean i i think i would crater and crumble if i didn't still get close to eight hours of sleep every night and um luckily like me and monica like we we love to sleep so as soon as those girls are asleep we have no problem crawling into bed at nine o'clock um but I would say, fortunately, Adeline is a much better sleeper. I mean, much better sleeper than McKenna was, <laughs> which helps. And um, I mean, I've said it a thousand times, like, you know, I couldn't do what I do if Monica didn't do what she did. I mean, she is like, you know, she's the rock here. So, I mean, she, she, she breastfeeds Adeline and like, I can't do anything with Adeline during the night. So when Adeline wakes up, I mean, I don't, <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, and McKenna sleeps fairly well. Um, I mean, I might have to go put her to sleep a few times a week if she wakes up, but yeah, fortunately the sleep is still pre- pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I want to mix in a couple of uh, listener questions that were submitted sort of like that go into your routine. So Colin Hunter asks, I want to hear about your worst week of training when it came to toddlers and like babies wouldn't sleep then you've got school and work on top of it so what was that did you have a really rough one I mean I would describe so yeah like running is so like the whole running schedule is so ingrained in my daily life and routine and like our whole family like I mean it's just like it it's I never like this whole training build like I didn't miss anything I don't miss days of training um if anything I just have to awkwardly squeeze it in sometimes you know at weird times but I would say like I mean just the hardest month was my first month so say like I started really training three months out that first month I was actually working in a clinic from 8 a.m I was seeing my first patient at 8 a.m um until four or five every day so that was like the true you know eight or nine hours a day um five days a week and that so that was tough so getting up every morning at five and like you know, I think that's, you know, the workouts, the quality definitely decreases a touch when you're trying to like go and run five minute pace or faster at like starting the workout, let's say at like 5.45, 6 a.m. Um, so I think those are, that month was a bit of a grind because like, you know, doing that every day definitely uh, wears down on you. But I mean, and then yes, there's nights in there where the girl, where the babies like slept terribly, and then I didn't sleep well. Um, our neighbors, like we have a row home, and like our neighbors are prone to playing really loud music with a bumping bass. They got a really nice bass. <laughs> Good sound setup sleep. for them. Bad one for you. <laughs> yeah, the old the old city life. You know, you gotta you basically live with your neighbors. Um, so yeah, there's definitely nights where things don't go as smoothly, but. I mean, for the most part, we we get by pretty, pretty fine. So there hasn't been any, like, catastrophic weeks. Mm-hmm. Matt Meyer wants you to rank what's more exhausting, uh, what's, what's more exhausting, marathon training, medical school, or two children? Oh, that's tough. 
that's tough because I have them all at the same time, right? So it's hard to know where <laughs> the true exhaustion is coming from. But I'm going to say the two kids, if, I, if there was like one thing I had to do every day and pick one, the two kids would, would be the hardest, which is why, like, again, I have to give Monica, like, so much, like, love and appreciation because, like, she's with them all day long. And, like, if she goes out for, like, a couple hours and, and I have the girls, I'm, like, dead after, like, two hours, after that two hours. And I, like, don't even understand how it's possible to do, like, full days every day, like, when I'm at work. Like, it's so, yeah, kids are exhausting, especially, like, toddlers like McKenna when they run around I call it, I like, she's what I call my, she's my emotionally unstable energizer bunny because like two and a half <laughs> years old, they just have no rationalization skills. Everything's a problem if it's not their way. And then they just never run out of like killing you. <laughs> and, and as a result of all this, how much coffee do you end up drinking in a day? Uh, you know, I'm pretty good about maintaining a stable caffeine intake. I'm really adamant about just like, one slash two cups like pretty much first thing in the morning and then not drinking any throughout the rest of the day because then it messes with my sleep and i told you sleep is like <laughs> sleep is is god in this house so you're a better man than me in many ways but that's <laughs> definitely one of them i people always talk about like drinking more during the pandemic like for me it's like coffee there's no rules anymore. Like yeah. <laughs> something about working from home it's like you can always put another cup pot on you know <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, is McKenna old enough to understand, like, the concept of, like, professional running? Like, does she get what you're doing when, you, when you're going off to the marathon project? No. No. She loves running. She loves, like, when we go to the park, she's always like, Daddy, let's run. And, like, she loves to, like, just, like, run, run alongside me and we, like, run together. Like, if I run on the treadmill here in the house, like, she has, like, a little trampoline in the basement. And if I go and do like a 40 minute double on the treadmill, she bounces on the trampoline the whole time and like loves it and just like loves. So she loves the concept of running, but no, she doesn't understand like the, the way I do it and like what it means. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's adorable. Is she, is she a future runner one day? Do you think, is she going to follow in her dad's footsteps? I mean, I'm not going to force it. I'm not going to, there's plenty of other cool sports out there. Um, but she seems to like it so far, so we'll see. I think so. I think so. I, w- I was going to go for, like, the perfect transition here. I was going to say, like, oh, maybe down the road she's training for, for uh, under Chris Fox. So, And then I'm going to get into sort of uh, you and his relationship. I mean, this is something that goes way back all the way, I guess, to college. Um, how different has that been, sort of, his training philosophy, handling you as a college runner, and then – as a marathoner. So for the people who are unfamiliar with what exactly his philosophy is or, or why it meshes well with you, I guess like what, what can you share about it? Yeah. The coach Fox philosophy, the coach Fox way of life is like so great. I mean, it's something that, I mean, if you went to Syracuse, you just, you just understand it and almost everyone loves and, and appreciates how he goes about training his athletes. Um, because he's just so low stress, so chill. And like, there's a few kind of pillars in like his underlying beliefs. And a lot of them is like, you know, a few of them just to kind of give you a quick rundown. It's like, we, we, he really believes like in strategically under training you, like, he's like, I would much rather have you 95% fit than 101%, like, and like kind of cooked on race day. Um, and I mean, that's why you see like our training, what we do, you can see it on like Strava and like, there's no secrets. There's no like magic workouts. We don't do anything like outrageous. Um, if anything, it's, it's underwhelming. Um, you know, our, our, our longest hard effort is 10 miles. That's what we are. A hard 10, 10, 10 miler is what we did before this race. Um, and that's it. I mean, and we show up to the line, we feel good. We feel refreshed um and we're just excited um so that's that's a big part of it he's i don't know i mean that's that really i feel like is such a big thing that's different from a lot of other programs um where you see people just putting these outrageous workouts and like which is awesome and i you know everyone has their own road to rome right um but i think that's probably the biggest difference and 
the fact that he he trusts everyone so much um like there doesn't need, like I don't like you know I live in Philadelphia there the team the the Reebok Boston Track Club is down down in Charlottesville um but and like I I I I talk to him the night before a workout when I know him I I just know the days when I'm supposed to be working out because I you know our schedule has been the same forever um so I'll 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 text him he'll kind of shoot me a message what what we're doing and I'll say okay and then I text him in the morning tell him how it went and he says great and then like I fill in everything else like you know what I mean I can he knows I know when to double he knows he knows like on my easy days like how that I'll I'll do what I need to do um. And, and it's, 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 it's a very kind of laissez-faire hands-off um, type, type of system. But on the flip side, I mean, if, you know, we have obviously athletes in our group, like track-based athletes who need a little more specific, obviously, um, you know, guidance and such, and he, he can provide that as well. So it's, it's, it truly is like individualized in that sense where he knows like who, who knows he, like, he doesn't need to be like a micromanager. He doesn't need to be like over your shoulder at every moment. And I think that just means a lot and results in some happy runners and some very good, good training. It's almost like he just wants you to take care of business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you take care of business, like under that system, then he knows you're going to be able to do it on race day, you know? Yeah, I'm surprised you got through the you got through that whole explanation without using TCB. But that's I was waiting for exactly it what it sounds I, like. I try not to overabuse our <laughs> our loving Syracuse philosophy of TCB. Take care of business. It's just ingrained in our DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, speaking of Syracuse. I was actually thinking about this after the the race yesterday. You know, obviously there was a lot of a lot of Portland guys and a lot of Q's guys up there at the the front of that race and mm-hmm. you know I think I think about there being a lot of similarities in terms of kind of being these you know these scrappy cross country schools that go up against you know the the big Pac-12 type um you know behemoths so like do you still feel you know a little bit of do you still feel a little bit of that like kind of school pride going into races like this of like oh we're this we're this these underdogs that are i remember you know, chipgate remember from wisconsin oh, that was yeah, we still talk about that <laughs> <laughs> yes we we absolutely still kind of have that chip on our shoulder and like kind of you know there's obviously a a, a nice substantial amount of syracuse post syracuse athletes in 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 our reebok group so the stories and and legends and the chip malfunction story stays alive and well over the years um and i think that definitely that attitude definitely uh keeps on pervading in in our 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 daily business (laughs) what was just a night's reaction in the group chat after the race to see you and colin perform so well he was just so pumped. He just said, holy crap. Maybe I'm censoring a little bit, but that was awesome, guys. You guys are so great. And then obviously then we had to acknowledge how, I mean, because um, Justin and Ben Flanagan, who did um, a, um, great pacing in the 211 group, I mean, they did a lot of our workouts. Maybe not, you know, usually like 70 to 80% of them volume wise, but I mean, they were there for every every step of the way. And like, so of course, Justin being and Justin would uh, kind of make his mark at the end of most workouts. So again, we just right in return thanked him for dragging us through uh, some uh, tough days. Those guys uh, were on Run Your Mouth the day after trials. And yeah. we spent, I think, like 15 minutes talking about like you and Colin, just like they only had good things to say about you. But uh, they're, they're, your, they're your biggest fans, both in college and beyond. That's for sure. We're all our own biggest fans, which is why it's pretty cool. You know, you said that all your workouts and stuff are up on Strava and there's really like no flashiness to them. I guess like, is the sexiest workout ahead of this just that 10 miler? Like what were the details on that one? Because like, I feel like that's the thing everyone fishes for right after someone has like a big major breakthrough. It's like, all right, Fobble, what was your big thing right before Boston? So like, what was, what was, was that it? Yeah. I mean, it's, we honestly are training for this race was very similar to what we did before the, the trials. Um, I think we did mostly the same workouts. Um, we just ended up doing them a little better just because of, we just had a just trained for a marathon a few months earlier. So I think we just had that extra base and foundation, but um, yeah, the flashiest thing we do 
we did for for both our past marathons is just a 10 mile pickup at a little faster than marathon pace um right around like 450 pace i think we were um and that's you know that's a big confidence booster for us we always we never do i mean we didn't do you know this course is pancake flat right so we never really did anything on a pancake flat course just because we still believe like running hills is you're going to get better. Like whether, um, I mean, we definitely flattened things out and we didn't go out of our way to like make workouts super slow because of the hills. But, um, you know, we definitely believe we gain a lot from that. And then when you show up on race day, I felt like it was amazing how we kept going down. The, you know, we did these loops and there wasn't anything to like impede our pace. Like it was just so smooth, um, which we didn't get in practice, which is what made it feel so much better on a race day. Um, but yeah, that 10 miler. And then, I mean, we, and then, yeah, we do the same thing. Everyone else says we do some hard long runs. I mean, we make the long run a quality day. Um, and we'll usually just most long runs will, we'll do some sort of tempo as part of the long run. Um, and our hardest long run is, was I think 22 miles where we did a 10 mile pickup in, in that long run. So that's was, um, I, I hate to go to, be constantly reaching back to the college archives but you know since you've been with fox for so long was that ever a conversation in college of like you're going to be a marathon or someday kid like was that something that was always in the back of your head or or has this been kind of a, a fun new surprise no it's it, it's been more of a natural progression without really ever planning on being here um i think in yeah in college especially like no there was no talk of running marathons um it was very much like we're gonna we're we're training to win that cross country 10k right um but then i graduated and instantly though it was like without even knowing like or without even having to talk about it like signing up for like the u.s 15k championships and the u.s 10 mile championships like that was just the you know they like a natural progression for me because um it just i knew i did better at the longer distances um and then, yeah, I don't know. We just kind of kept getting longer and longer, ran a half marathon. And then, and then when I got, you know, I did my year in Arizona, you know, off of the Fox system. And then when I came back to Philly for school, um, I got back with Fox. So that was three years ago now. And in that conversation of, you know, getting, you know, back with the Reebok team and getting back under the coach Fox system, then it kind of became, all right, I think you can be good at the marathon. Um, let's make the Olympic marathon trials like the goal for three years from now. Um, so, you know, at that point, so I guess in 2017, that kind of became the goal, but up until that point, I, I didn't have much interest, but, uh, I definitely am interested now. <laughs> Did you ever like, I guess, come close to like just abandoning pro running totally because of, of school? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I've been very, I'm not really, I'm going to say no. Like I haven't like straight up wanted to quit running or had to at any point. Like there's always been enough time in my day and um, you know, I've been able to make, make time to get that, to make training possible um, pretty much at every step along the way thus far. Um, yeah. So no, like I've, I've been able to run and I've, I love to do it. I have no need to do it. I, you know, I'm still following my, my dream of becoming a doctor and I, you know, I just run because I, I want to and because I love it. So um, thus far, no, I haven't had any, any need or desire to, uh, to stop. Uh, do you, uh, in your <laughs> medical expertise, I guess, one of the things we were noticing on the, the broadcast is, you know, the, the fairly normal marathon practice of sharing bottles in the race um you know that that was going going down and obviously everyone had been tested and everything but i guess two part did you share anybody else's bottle during the race and and do you feel like that was i mean that's got to feel so weird especially you know in the pandemic um of just like being totally against every other bit of you know medical advice out there right um yeah i mean i didn't have at no point was I ever planning on you taking you on sharing anyone's bottle. Like everyone had their own bottles. So I don't even see why that would be needed. Um, but yeah, I guess, and you know, some packs, I know that's like a big thing in running and, you know, if guys missed a bottle or something, I'm more than happy to share it with, with someone else. Um, I mean, yeah, that was, I had no intentions of doing that. <laughs> I 
I mean, I guess just the, the caveat being like, I was really happy with how well the, you know, the COVID protocols were for this race. I mean, every athlete in the race had to submit two negative tests the week of the race. Um, as well as I think pretty much anyone involved in the race had to have at least one negative test. So, I mean, everyone was at least, at least up until they got their negative. So, you know, of course, you know, who knows what, what people do up until actual race day, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess to, to each their own, right. Everyone accepts a certain amount of risk. So wherever you fall. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it's about as, uh, about as safe as you could be, but I did just seeing that on the screen, I had that moment where I was like, it's like when you watch a, a TV show on Netflix now where like somebody's hugging and you're like, why are they not six feet apart? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's just a little cringeworthy. Still like, oh. Yeah. Or so it's good. That I guess that we're conditioned to that, to COVID safe being normal and, and you know, swapping fluids being not but (laughs) (laughs) not ideal anymore so that part of like your day just you know working as a medical student in anesthesiology at sydney kimmel medical college at st thomas jefferson university in philadelphia i had to write it all out uh what 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 is that comprised of for the most part because we've gotten sort of like into sort of like the ins and out of your training but what do you what are you doing while you know for school and work Right. So how school works, I'm, I'm a fourth year student now. So I'm in my final year. I graduate in May. In May, I'll officially earn my, my MD. Um, so fourth year is, an, is a unique year in that it's, very, it's similar to third year and you're still doing rotations through different floors, units, types of medicine. Um, every, you know, most of them are, are four weeks, but there are occasional two, two, um, two week ones as well, rotations. Um, and that's kind of what you're, you're doing all, all year long. You're constantly, that's why it's, it's tough when people ask me my schedule. I'm like, it really changes every, every month. Like I, I've got different time requirements, like what time I need to be somewhere and what time I get home. Um, but, you know, that's kind of how it looks from Zoomed out. But also as a fourth year student, um, starting at the end of October, you start interviews um, for, to apply to residency programs so i'm applying to anesthesia programs um so i'm not you know i'm not in anesthesia yet but uh that's that's the plan and then yeah so essentially you apply to a ton of programs all the interviews were converted to you know zoom slash you know at home stuff which is again another reason that this i was even able to make this race happen um and so yeah i've just been interviewing i've I think I'll have probably 15 programs that I'll have interviewed at. And you just kind of, yeah, you just slot that in with your rotations. They give you a little bit of vacation time. So I did have two weeks of, of vacation time um, in the last cu- cu- couple of months to like really pack a bunch of interviews in. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of how the year looks. So I, I still have a bunch of month long r- rotations up until um, April and then, and then I graduate. And then in March, sorry to backtrack, make it a little more confusing. In March is when all the fourth year students find out where they matched hmm. um, and where they will uh, continue their training for their select specialty. Have you had to sort of like tailor that list also to maybe where you want to end up in terms of for your running training or are you just open to going anywhere? Right. Yeah. That's like, that's right. That's always right. We're always thinking like, where would I want to end up? That would be the best place to, you know, who's got the best trails, who's got the best. uh, Yeah. So to be honest, I really didn't prioritize like running when I'm making, when I was like applying programs, you know, a lot of what goes into it is um, where you want to be. So just the geographical location and I want to be on the east coast and the northeast we want to be close to our families you know we're both from New York me and my wife um so that was that's kind of you know biggest factor and then there's the program itself like do I feel like I fit in there because essentially it's a job it's kind of like a job interview you know these are all the people that you're going to be working with for the next four years um you know do you fit in do you feel like that's the place for you um so and that's kind of the next biggest kind of part of the the decision making tree um so yeah i'm you know i i think if i can make do in the 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 cold hard streets of south philadelphia um i can i can make the running thing work work anywhere from that standpoint um residency will be very different as far as like you know time requirements and um and such so i'm not really planning too far ahead in that respect but 
but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I want to go to the, the, the place that works best for me and, and my, and my family, and, you know, and then the running can, you know, slot itself in after that. One more doctor question. Do you know when you're getting the vaccine yet? Unfortunately, um, students fall pretty low on the totem pole of, you know, healthcare workers, um, which is fine, which is fine. I mean, they, for the most part, were isolated from directly taking care of COVID patients in the sense of like going into the room and like doing physical exams and such. I mean, we're still can be active in their care. Um, but yeah, it's all minimized from that respect. So no, we don't, I, they have not reached out to us. They, you know, the Jefferson employees are being vaccinated as we speak, but um, the students still are unsure when, uh, when our time will come. Um, yeah, I did see someone, I think like on Twitter had asked, like if you had gotten vaccinated, like before the race and, and like, if this was a, just a, a side effect of like being able to run really fast comes with the vaccine. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, so you dedicated the race, I think from your tweet, you said, um, you wanted it to go out to the people who, uh, the, all the working men and women, especially healthcare folks. Um, and in your pre-race press conference uh, that we had a couple of days ago, you had mentioned when they asked you sort of about COVID and, and like the pandemic that, yeah, I mean, it's just as bad as the news is making it out to be. Um, so in a way, I guess not being directly in contact with, I guess, like patients battling COVID. What's some of the craziest stuff that you've seen and like how, how close have you gotten to it? Because I know you mentioned being in the ICU for a bit. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I, I have spent the last two weeks, you know, my coincidentally have been rotating through the the ICU um, here in Philly or at, at one of our affiliate hospitals. And just right now, they're 50 to 80% COVID patients who kind of need that that high level of care. Um, so yeah, I mean, how ICUs work and how a lot of them are, are, are um, built is that they're all like open glass. So you, like everyone can kind of see into all the rooms because these patients, you know, in the ICU, obviously you're unstable. Patients can change at like a second's notice. So everything's open and you can see everything, whether, you know, obviously there's doors like, like um, glass doors and such. So, so if I'm, you know, if I'm in charge of, of a COVID patient, I can, and if they're there, they're normally intubated. I mean, that, that's usually why they're there. They're in acute respiratory failure. Um, so, I mean, a big part of my job is seeing, you know, how are they doing on these, these, um, ventilator settings, you know, do we need to change things? Um, and you know, a big part of my job is also just learning how the medicine is practiced in that setting in in the, the, uh, you know, in, in the ICU in in this case. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm there and I'm seeing it and I think it's what you see is exactly what you expect i mean it's if you if you need if if you end up in the icu i mean it's the prognosis already isn't good um and it's it's definitely an eye-opening experience to see the end result of where the sickest of the sick will will end up and um you know more often than not pass away cool because i didn't want to mischaracterize it i guess when i fired off like a couple tweets about you yesterday during the race and it was like Oh, there's Marty Hare. Now he's leading the race. And it's like, he spent the last two weeks in the ICU. I didn't say treating COVID patients. I was just like, I think witnessing, I just like how bad it's been. And I felt like, all right, that's, that's accurate. Cause I think this, the tweet took off and people were calling you a hero and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, all right, this is great. I really hope I got that right. Right. No, no. And I totally, yeah, I don't want to like be misconstrued. Like it's the nurses, the residents and the attendings who are like in and out of these rooms all day long, like really making all the treatment decisions. And like, they're like the true frontline, you know, the, the frontline heroes. Like, you know, I just get to be there and get to learn from them. And, you know, I, I, I'm an ancillary member of the team. I mean, we are a part of the team. But yes, I, I agree. I don't want to be misconstrued as, you know, taking anything away from the, I'll call them the, you know, the real healthcare heroes, which is, you know, all the people that, that I just mentioned. So I guess that kind of leads me to almost like a philosophical question where it's like, you know, I, I, a lot of the, a lot of the narrative, you know, around you're, you're running it, um, marathon project but also you know in general it's like oh he's a med student he has kids blah 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 like do you 
do you process the weirdness of your own life in the way that other people do and that like you know chris like jokingly said in hero but like there is almost this like superhero narrative around building around you of like oh he can do it all like he's you he can do everything like is that is that something that you feel on a day-to-day basis or or is it is it just normal day in uh marty hatter's life i mean i think it would be weird if i said that i wake up every day feeling like a superhero (laughs) so i'm gonna say on a day-to-day basis no i don't really like think about that um i do definitely understand why people think like what i do is so cool and like crazy and like uncomprehendable um but for me you know it's what i do every day so when you do it every day it doesn't feel so abnormal um and it's really just a big game of time management right i mean it's not like i'm doing anything any one of the things i do isn't crazy it's just that i you know can fit them all in on a day but no yeah to answer your question no i don't wake up feeling like a like a superhero. <laughs> yeah, this is the, I, I feel like sometimes, you know, it, it, it doesn't take away at all from the impressiveness of what you do, but I do enjoy, cause it's, cause it's all going to the right, you know, to the <laughs> right place in terms of intention. But uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, Twitter, Twitter narrative about uh, how impressive you are. Cause you are very impressive. But. <laughs> <laughs> very much appreciate the thought but yeah <laughs> so after this kind of like what what's sort of next i mean just because like there's so much uncertainty there's like no real races on the schedule coming up um i'm kind of even wondering like if the next race you might have like if you'd be introduced as dr marty like on the starting line <laughs> oh, man so may right um and that and that's like another thing too, to like go back real real quickly in may I'll be a doctor, right? And then when I start a residency program in June and I'm back in the ICU, I'll, I will be directly treating COVID patients. So that, that's why it's a very weird mm-hmm. interplay of like the fourth year medical student who's going to be an intern in a few months. Um, but yeah, what's, as for what's next, I think we all hopefully feel relatively confident that the Olympic track trials are going to happen, right? So um, yes, fingers crossed. Uh, so I'm, I'm setting my, you know, my next kind of goals is uh, getting in shape to get back in those 10k trials and finish a little better than I did four years ago and see if I can uh, take take a shot there so so hopefully I mean I got to get a qualifier so hopefully I'm running a race before May (laughs) yeah this is making me wish track were a lot more like pro wrestling where like I'm picturing like Chris said introduce you as Dr. Dr. Heher like you show up to the starting line, you've got like the white lab coat on, you like take it off right before the race. Like I, now I, now I want this to be more of a- Oh yeah, you totally this. should show up to like your, your walkout music lab coat. Is like, um, <laughs> Have them play like the uh, Grey's Anatomy, like song <laughs> over the speed. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I was gonna go with like, uh, like Bad Case of Loving You by uh, Robert Palmer. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do you realize that like, cause I got a message from a friend of mine, uh, Connor Callahan, who's a surgeon up in, I believe Toronto. He's like, he said, well, he's like, I guess now I can never use my work schedule as an excuse to never to like skip training ever again. Do you realize you've made this tough for like a lot of people in the medical field? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess a little bit, but again, I'm a medical student, right? He's a surgeon. A surgeon schedule is absurd. And I don't think, I don't even think I could pull that off. I'll be perfectly honest. So yeah, once, once you start as like a resident and as an attending physician, I think your responsibilities become a lot more important and um, you know, maybe there's a little, and there's definitely less time in the day to get things done. So, I mean, maybe I'm making it a little more difficult for, for medical student parents, but um, yeah, I mean, well, let's see how I do next year. And then maybe uh, people will be like, all right, he is human. (laughs) I don't know. After you took a shit on the sidelines of the uh, marathon trials, I think people know you're human. (laughs) i'm just teasing we got a couple more listener questions that were sent in someone asked what's the most absurd thing you thought about to pass the time during yesterday's race um the most absurd thing i thought i i don't know i don't really have absurd thoughts i'm usually just 
kind of, I mean, like any other runner, just like battling self-doubts, trying to convince myself that I feel good, <laughs> um, even though like I don't. Um, so I think it's, it's a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I, I do kind of really like the brain really goes pretty dim when I, when I'm running. Um, and I'm glad. So it's just a lot of, uh, like looking at the clocks, looking at the mile splits and just, I, I, I do like to do a little bit of the math. Um, I think that's nice and distracting. Um, but absurd thoughts. Well, okay. Here's an absurd thought. I do very occasionally. I, again, it's amazing. Like the ebbs and flows of like when you're like feeling good and feeling terrible, like in a race, especially a marathon. But I think at one point I had the thoughts my, and this was like way too early in the race, maybe at like 10, maybe around that like half marathon point when like everyone I said maybe started feeling pretty good. I was like, Oh man, like, like, I wonder what I'm, what I'm going to do if I win this thing. Like, 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 you know, I mean, again, a fleeting thought that I didn't even complete the thought before going back into, no, nah, there's way more, there's way too many miles left to run before I can think about that. Someone else asked, what does a two eight runner think about two Oh one thirty nine? Cause I mean, you already had a fast PR, but I mean like processing and conceptualizing Who the like, hell the world asked that question. <laughs> That's the brutal question. That's about as demoralizing. You, you gotta screen these, Chavez. That's about as demoralizing of a question as you can ask me right now. Um, I think it's just it. It's truly just shows the incredible level of athletes there are out there, and that you know there's always there's always someone better than you, and quite a bit better than you. <laughs> Here's just one that popped into my head because I had a friend of mine who was going to med school i think it was in des moines somewhere and he was saying he was like trying to like start looking up all the records that i guess people have set while in med school or uh you know i guess like fastest doctors i mean banister i think kind of like is is up there uh chuck aragon i think also might have the mile he's like a 351 uh time yeah it's crazy have you like ever had that curiosity or like thought of looking up sort of like what other people have run? You might, you probably did set a record of sorts, probably. Um, right. Like I, you know, the, the people, I, the, the, the names I always hear, Bob, Bob Kempinen, um, Tony Sandoval, I think is, is a little older. Um, and I feel like those are the two big like med school slash residency slash doctor grades who ran while also trained become doctors. Um, obviously, Dr. Kempinen like is an Olympian and like, um, and I think, but as far as PRs go, I don't know. I think I think I might have them all. Yeah, you, I think you've got. Well, yeah. Fortunately, at least among Americans, there's not too many guys ahead of you on the list anymore, so you can kind of just check. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're not doctors if we go down that 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 six-person list or seven-person, depending. Dr. Galen Rupp, yeah. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Rupp. Uh, so, yeah, that's a pretty cool thought. I mean, quite possibly fastest doctor, almost almost doctor, let's not get carried away, in, uh, in America. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask, uh, do you have any race superstitions? For some reason, I've been really interested in this lately. No superstitions. Anything like that? No, I'm very much like the opposite. Like I, like I make it a point to not have any weird things I have to do because I feel like that just means things can only go wrong when you have like things like that. Like, but I mean... I like, I usually take a hot shower mm-hmm. first thing in the morning, like on, on of a race, just like wake up. Um, I mean, I, I generally do the same things, usually have some oatmeal as breakfast and drink some coffee a couple hours out. But no, I, I mean, no, no weird superstitious stuff. I think it could only be a crutch. It's only a weakness. In, in, <laughs> in <my head. laughs> oh, so before we move to final questions how does yesterday's high compare to winning the cross-country title is it better or like will nothing ever top that day oh man i think yeah nothing's ever going to top that day i mean if you were to break it down between like team accomplishments and individual accomplishments like those are obviously the two Mm -hmm. tops in their respective categories but yeah winning i mean that team title just meant 
so astronomically much to, you know, our whole group of guys that, uh, yeah, that's, that was as special as, as it can be, I think. The, the right. energy of having everyone be equally sort of like emotional, right. I think definitely. Although when you make the Olympics, you know, we'll revisit the question. And we <laughs> have to talk again. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'll hit you with my final questions that I ask every guest. And then I think David also has his. Um, so mine is, first one is, what's the meanest thing you read about yourself on letsrun.com? Oh gosh. Oh I, yeah. So I, I will admit, I definitely peruse little letter. I'm not like an everyday getting into the nitty gritty, but I do check it every once in a while. Um, I feel like mo- more recently there's definitely people who are like, Oh man, this guy is like running in trampoline shoes and has great job security and doesn't even take care of patients for real yet. Like, he sucks. I don't know. It's not <laughs> something along those lines. So, you know, whatever. Everyone gets their opinion. <laughs> What's the funniest drug testing story you've got? Um, oh, I would say like one of my first drug tests that I ever had. It was like a pure coincidence. I didn't know about, you know, runners like beats, right? And like, that's like a thing. Um, but like, this was a pure coincidence that they served beats at the pre-race dinner. And I like never eat beets, but I just chose to eat them or to eat them. Sorry. Um, and then I did well in the race and I had to get drug tested and I didn't know anything about beets. And then when I peed, it was, it was like, you know, blood red. And I, I was shook. It was the uh, cherry blossom in 20, I guess it would have been um, 2016. So one of my first like pro races um, and yeah. And I like, didn't know I, I was, I was shook. I was like, oh man, I think I'm dying. Um, and then, you know, the per- obviously, you know, the drug testers usually they, they know. So they're like, did you have beats? I was like, uh, yeah, but why? Like, is that what this is? So, so yeah, that was, I was a very un- 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 uneducated person at that time. It's <laughs> a good one. If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they can hold a nice little conversational pace with you, um, who would it be with and where would the run take place? They don't have to be a runner. Oh gosh. Um, this is a tough one. I would love to run. This is obviously something I've never really thought about before. And I clearly don't have anyone that really jumps to my head. Um, I'm going to have to just honestly be boring and just say, I don't have a good answer to this question. I'm going to have to skip it. Oh, come on. You got like, you're not going to nerd out with like Bannister on a run or something like that somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But I'm just saying, I don't have any real like burning passion. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, Bannister would be cool. What was your favorite spot in Flagstaff when you were out there? Ooh. Um, I would say Aspen corner um, is absolutely like stunning in the fall when, when all the Aspens turn, turn like bright yellow. So that, that would be the spot. Thank you for helping me out there. That would be the place to go for a beautiful run. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I feel like I'm really me. Sorry. That's who it should be. <laughs> I'm sad because we're both in Philly right now and yeah. we can't run together because of COVID. So, yeah. and because you just ran a marathon, but <laughs> mostly, <laughs> I'm not mostly that too. Wait, so when are you expected back at work and, and school? Well, fortunately, again, timing worked out great. I had two-week holiday vacation, so I fortunately don't have to move for the next two weeks. Perfect. All right, final question for me is, it has nothing to do with running. It's uh, if you get 25 shots from half court on like a full-size basketball court mm-hmm. uh, and you make one of the half-court shots, you win $25 million. If you don't make any of them, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? Nope. We wouldn't do it. All things the same. I'm good. I, you know, seems like you have a pretty good life. Yeah. I hear anesthesiology is a pretty lucrative profession once you actually finish med school. So <laughs> I'll be all right. All right, David, take it away. Yeah. Well, Marty's been on the pod before, so he's answered them all. I don't remember his answers. Maybe I'll just ask, uh, do you, do you have a new karaoke song since the last time we, we chatted? Oh man. It's, been a, it's gonna be a while before we can all do karaoke again. But, yeah. but what well, do like, you do? What are you singing? 
I've done karaoke like once in my entire life. So I don't even know what answer I would have given you the first time around. <laughs> um, like free falling. That would probably be a good one. That's a good one. That would be a go-to. Sweet. All right, Marty. Well, we appreciate you taking the time to do this. It was good to catch up. Um, I'll never ask you, who are you ever again? Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I appreciate uh, Congrats again on the, on the big win. Thank you guys so much. Pretty cool. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Standing in the shadow in the good girl Her home with broken hearts